0: Hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. morning 11 a.m. let's give the Lord let's give the Lord a little bit of a clap and a praise and thanksgiving come on maybe you went through it this week God is still good maybe something great happened God is good come on church just a little bit longer let's just give him praise Jesus thank you so much thank you so much thank you so much um I just want to say thank you for your prayers um I, you know, two years of dodging the Rona and, um, and I let my guard down for a minute and I got caught up. So I guess I know I wouldn't last the zombie apocalypse. Um, that was kind of my biggest thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up becoming a zombie because I didn't make it through. And so, um, but thank you for your prayers. Tough crowd again. 11 a.m. You're not really tough. 11 a.m. You guys are usually not tough, but man, um, I'll have to do better. But nonetheless, thank you for your prayers. Um, I am whole (laughs) and healed, uh, but, you know, still a little, I feel like I'm going to tip over sometimes, still in a a bit of a recovery. um, And I just want to thank the Lord for Pastor Roger, who last week stepped in for me, uh, last minute, poor guy, and, uh, and preached. Um, and then this week he tagged me. I mean, he was supposed to preach this week and he's out sick. And so I'm stepping in for him. So, you know, it's kind of touche. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I would like to just take a moment. We're going to pray twice. Um, I'm going to pray one time for Pastor Roger and his family. I talked to him on the way here. Of course, if anybody knows Pastor Roger, he um, is ready to be here right away. But um, I told him to rest. Um, His body needs that rest. And so, can we pray that um, God would just continue to give him rest and just bless his family? And they're such a a gift to us um, in this church. Uh, um, And so, can we take a moment just to pray for our Pastor Roger and um, Becca and the children? Heavenly Father. Um, thank you that uh, Roger is uh, recovering well, um, and I'm sure his mind and his heart is racing, and he's ready to go. But I just pray that he would just uh, that you would just help him take advantage of this time, uh, you settle his body, his mind, his heart, and that you would uh, strengthen him, heal him completely, God. And um, I just again thank you for covering him thus far. I pray for Becca. Beautiful children, Lord, just um, thank you for covering them. Just continue to touch that household, Lord. We just pray blessings, and, um, and we pray again that you would just uh, uh, protect, and and, um, and ultimately um, you would bring them back to your house to celebrate you together once again. So we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. In a moment, we're going to get into the text, but. In the two weeks that I've been gone, um, our country has suffered uh, tragedy. Um, 10 shot dead in a supermarket in Buffalo, and primarily an African American community uh, where, where the gunman was motivated by the disgusting and demonic ideology of white supremacy. grandmas, moms, dads, grandpas. I saw this one photo of a sweet old lady and she looked like she was dressed in her church. A a deaconess who fed the poor and no doubt loved Jesus, I'm sure. It just really captured my heart. And And then it just felt like there was, you couldn't finish mourning that. You couldn't finish processing that because then a gunman walks into a Taiwanese church and uh, he kills one and he wounds five, and they were just there celebrating their pastor's return from a missions trip. And, and this time the motivation was political tensions between China and Taiwan. And of course, just a, a few days ago, you, you, we have what we have in Uvalde, Texas, where an 18 year old, after shooting his grandmother in the face, walked into an elementary school and he gunned down two teachers and 19 children, all between the ages of 10 and 11. And if you've read anything or kept up with anything, it, 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 it's heartbreaking. In fact, one of the teachers that died, the husband dies of a heart attack a few days later. And now the children are just Devastating. And I got to be honest, we can get real distant, right? I mean, it happens and we're all impacted and then we go about our day. I mean, I got to be honest, it happens that day, my heart's breaking and then there's a Warriors game at night and you're cheering and you're posting and I had to go back and just like, okay, oh, what's, you know, we, we, we just move on so quickly while people are suffering and, um, and I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it could feel cold and distant and, and the lack of compassion and empathy and the people of God, including someone who's a pastor, really is, is mind-boggling. And I just ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Like, what, what is it about me or my life that's so... I'm, I'm, I don't have want that I'm so comfortable. I, I'm not disturbed at times the way I feel like I need to be disturbed. I don't know if anyone felt that way. Um, and so I just want to remind you if, you, if you're tempted to think that God isn't good... If you're tempted to think that God isn't loving, uh, if you're tempted to ask why, I'm just, I want to remind you, in the beginning, God created everything good. That's what the Bible tells us. Everything was good. He declared it good. But mankind strayed from the goodness of God and chose self-dependence and autonomy from God. And the result was devastating, devastating. The consequences of that choice have reverberated throughout human history from the first murder, Cain and Abel. Sin, selfishness, hate, satanic influence has been the result of us choosing darkness over light. Yet God still remains sovereign over sin and suffering and evil. God still yet remains in control despite the darkness. And not only is God sovereign over suffering, but the God we serve suffers. Y'all hear me? There, There isn't a religion in the world that can boast that not only is God sovereign over suffering, but we serve a God who entered into our suffering too. And experience the tragedy and the hostility and the suffering. Our perfect Savior suffered with us. And he suffered for us. So that he could bring us back to Genesis 1. Because we screwed it all up. We serve a God who entered into human existence, humanity who put on flesh and suffered so he can bring us back to goodness. And his resurrection ensures that one day there will be no more racism. One day there'll be no more tribalism. One day there will be no more fear, no more death, no more tears, no more disease, no more decay, no more pain. A day where there will be no more guns and no instruments of war. A day that the prophet Isaiah looked forward to when he declared that a day is coming when nations will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks and not lift up a sword against one another neither shall they train for war no more. And so it's to this, we pray, Maranatha, the hope of the Lord coming quickly. Jesus, deliver us from this sin-stained world. Deliver us from this mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ. And now we mourn, but we mourn with hope. We don't mourn as those who are hopeless. Thank you, God, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. But we know that God is making all things new and that he's calling those to him. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand. A slight discomfort In order to recognize the extreme discomfort that many are facing right now, so let's pray, Jesus. Lord, this is not an obligatory prayer. We believe that you answer prayer. And so, Lord, we pray. No words but, but presence. We don't pray words. We, we pray your presence. We pray that your spirit. We pray for your church to be sent to these dark places and spaces that have suffered demonic, diabolical, satanic attacks. We pray for those that have been devastated by this attack in Buffalo and and Irvine and Texas. There really is no words. So I just pray your presence. Raise up your church in those spaces and places to represent you. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would continue to help us, help me, and help this church become a compassionate compassionate church, a church that serves a God who suffered too. Help us to hope in glory. If there's anyone in this room right now that feels hopeless, help us to hope in glory our future hope, when you will make all things new. We say, come Lord, quickly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As you know, for those of you that have been with us, we have been traveling through the book of Revelation, in particular, we have been focusing in on seven letters written to seven churches to the chief shepherd, from the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is painted in Revelation 1 with eyes of fire, who walks in between the golden lampstands that represent his churches, and he sees and he knows all. And in every letter, he commends them for the things that they do well, and he rebukes some for the things that they fall short in. And we're calling this series, Inspire, Dear Inspire. Although these letters weren't written to us, we can learn from them because they are a representation in their entirety of the universal church. And we can pull from the promises and we can pull from the rebukes so that we can become a church, a bride of Christ that is spotless without blemish, waiting for our groom. And so the last few weeks, we have traveled through five churches. Today, we'll travel through church number six. It is the church at Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia that you know, but the church in Philadelphia in what is known as the the East Asian region, kind of the Turkey region now. But all of these churches are kind of from that space, and and the church today, the church that we're going to talk about today is the church at Philadelphia. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, and I'll I'll give you some time. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 7. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, again, we'll have it for you on the screen. Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 7 through 13. Usually I'm a pretty lively, yelling preacher. And so today I might have, my energy might be a little low, but um, I believe that the word of the Lord doesn't change, doesn't matter. Um, and so I just, I'm um, going to do my best, um, but I pray that you would listen in, you would lean in, and you would hear what the spirit has to say to the church. Amen? Amen. 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 Revelation. Chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 through 13. And the scriptures read like this. This is Jesus writing his church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works behold I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut Hmm. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name behold I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Wow, what beautiful words. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. That's a word. If you don't get nothing else, hear the word of the Lord Jesus. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. In the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen? If you're taking notes or you're just like me and you like to know where we're going, the roadmap today is simple. We're gonna describe, we're gonna talk about the qualities of this church. In Philadelphia. Then we're going to talk about the qualities of Jesus Christ who is writing to this church. And then finally, we're going to finish with the promises Jesus makes to this church. So we're going to focus in on the qualities of this church. Then we're going to focus in on the qualities of Christ. And then we're going to finish with the promises made. Amen. You might have noticed in the text, this is the church that was weak but strong. In fact, Jesus tells them, I know you have little strength. Now, there are different ways we can take little strength to mean. But I'm assuming it meant that the church in Philadelphia had a very few gathering. So the natural consequences of being few in number meant that they had access to little finances, little resources, Little connections, little influence, little power, and what probably felt like to them, little impact. And and no doubt that this reality at times might have even led this small, insignificant church to question its purpose and to feel discouraged by its state. And to those who think that big is best and more is better, to those who equate much ministry activity with spiritual health, no doubt you would have left the church of Philadelphia to attend the church in Sardis. Now, if you were with us last week, you will know that the church in Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but Jesus says you're dead. The church in Sardis had the big programs. The church in Sardis had a good reputation in the city. The church in Sardis enjoyed power and significance and influence. And Jesus said, you look alive, but you are dead. No doubt that if you think bigger is better and more is best, you have left the weak church. And went to the lively church. Yet, it was Sardis that looked alive but was dead, and it was Philadelphia that looked weak but was strong. I remember talking to some pastors and and a Bible college professor in the Philippines and asking them what they needed most. I was really curious about ministry in the Philippines and just really wanting to find out more from them what they felt the heart for the church in the Philippines, in particular, the regions that they were in. And all of them, in one way or another, would lament their lack of resources. For the professor... The lament was over their tiny libraries, outdated textbooks, and his limited access to solid teaching materials. For the pastors, it was the lack of training for their leaders, and of course, little financial support. Of course, all of that weighed heavy on me as I represented the American church, which has grown fat and complacent with resources. I mean, with one click, one purchase, we have it all at our disposal. But as I began to feel starry about their weak state, the Lord opened my eyes You see, despite their perceived lack, they still move forward in great faithfulness. Mm. Despite their perceived lack, whether lack in numbers, lack in resources, lack in influence, the few that were there moved in great faithfulness. And I wonder, those of us living in America, drunk off resources, far from impoverished, I wonder what kind of faithfulness we move in. I witnessed churches planted in countrysides and hillsides with no walls and dirt floors. Yes, they were poor, but they did not allow their poverty to excuse them from gospel mission. Listen, in America, we need the best talent, the most money, and many volunteers. <laughs> While in the Philippines, all they needed were a few willing hearts and a small dirt floor. Wow. Good. Where They might bring a guitar and a cajon and not have microphones and <laughs> sing off-key. And if I'm not mistaken, and I talked to Catherine and a few others, it's usually the kids that come first. And then the moms come. And then those stubborn fathers at some point. In the Philippines, all they needed were a willing heart and dirt floor. Isn't that consistent with the way the Lord works, though, in Scripture? I mean, he, Jesus told the apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. So Paul concludes, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, for when I am weak, I am strong. Mm. In fact, a little before that, Paul will talk about all of his accolades. And as he begins to list his degrees, his pedigree, his resume, at the end of all that, he says, it's all trash. He says, it's dung is actually the word. And so, Paul looks at his perceived strengths and he calls it dung and he looks at his weakness and he calls it good. And so he denies his strengths because his strengths cause him to be autonomous, to cause him to be dependent on himself. And somehow, in some way, there's a prideful temptation to think, look at all I've done. Look at what I've did. And so the Lord purposefully chooses to work with the weak, the small, the insignificant, the rebel, the outcast, the lowly, the undistinguished, the nothings. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise? And he chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In fact, later on in the book of Revelation, which means the revealing, Jesus will be revealed as a conquering lion. In the form of a slaughtered lamb. And those who will be worshiping Jesus in Revelation are those who will be worshiping a weak slaughtered lamb who has overcome the world. Y'all hear me? Y'all hear that? When he chose to reveal himself, he reveals himself as a slaughtered lamb. He's laid down his life. Aren't you glad we serve a God who has chose the weak things of this world to confound the strong? Amen? Amen? We serve a God who prefers to use mightily the few, the lowly, the nothings, the nobodies. So that man would not glorify himself. But that he would get all the glory. The church at Philadelphia was weak, but strong. Why? What, what, what made them strong? And, and I, if you're taking notes, this is a great time to take note. Take a mental note, write it on your heart. This is really important. What made them strong? You see, they were insignificant in size, insignificant in resources, yet they were strong in three areas. Are you ready? Number one, Obedience. Loyalty and durability. Obedience, loyalty and durability. Obedience, loyalty and durability. Let let me unpack that for a moment. If you look at the second half of verse eight in describing this church, Jesus says, you have kept my word. Y'all see that? You have kept my word. This was a church That submitted to the authority of Scripture. This was a church that believed that the Word of God was inspired by God, that men led of the Holy Spirit began to write under the inspiration of the Spirit, that this is the living, breathing, acting, active Word of God. They preached the Word, taught the Word, read the Word. But here's the key. They obeyed the word. Yeah. You see that? He doesn't just say, you're a church of the word. He said, you're a church that has kept my word. There is a difference between hearing and doing. Jesus in a parable says, a man who hears the word and does the word is a man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms of life hit that rock, because it was built on the word, the Uh, The house stands, yet a man who hears the word and does not do the word, is like a man who built his house on sand. And when the storms rage and the winds blow and the waves crash, that house that was built on sand collapses. It's always fascinating to me because when Jesus tells that parable, he's not comparing people outside of the church. He's comparing people in the church. Because both of them heard the word. But only one of them heard the word and did the word. Philadelphia practiced what they preached. They were not just hearers, but they were doers. In fact, Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. This was a church that loved its Lord. Amen. And just by way of conversation, what kind of emphasis do you place on the word in your life? It's a worthy question to ask. What kind of emphasis do you place on the word? What priority do you place on the text? Do you have a regular diet of the word? We're a church that's been moving in rhythms of life, rhythms of reading the word. I wonder how many of us in this room prioritize and regard this in high esteem. If you don't, you're a hearer, but not a doer. If you don't, you're building your your house, you're building sandcastles. Later on in that same verse, he'll say, not only have you kept my word, but then he tells them, you have not denied my name. This church was obedient and this church was loyal. You have not denied my name. This church proclaimed Jesus as Lord. Are you with me? And they proclaimed him as the only way to the father. This church refused to bow down to the societal pressures of inclusivity and they remained faithful to the exclusivity of Christ even in the midst of persecution, pressure, and death. What does it mean to remain faithful to the name? What does it mean not to deny the name? Well, in the context of Philadelphia, often they would force the church to come into a space, and they would force the church to uh, burn incense in the name of Caesar and to call Caesar Lord. But Jesus says... This weak but strong church refused to call Caesar Lord. They refused to share the lordship of Christ with anybody. And we live in a pluralistic culture, don't we? We live in an inclusive culture, and that feels good and sounds good. Yet Jesus, in his word, says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man enters, no man goes to the Father but through me. Yes, Jesus died for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his life so that whosoever believe. And so as much as you may think it is inclusive, belief makes it exclusive. And this church refused to bow to the pluralistic gods, the many gods of that culture. They stayed true to his name. Can I ask you a question? Do you do you believe in the exclusivity of Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Do you reject the pluralism of our culture that suggests all roads, yeah. all religions? Yeah. I, I know some believers who have been attending church for a very long time. But because they have an anemic word life, they buy into all of that. And so you bow your knee to the pressures of a pluralistic society that threatens to hate you or to hurt you. Not this church. They were weak, but they were strong obedient, loyal. And finally, number three, durable, durable. Verse 10, Jesus will say, you have kept my word. And then he'll add a little extra context to that. He'll say, you've kept my word about patient endurance. Pastor Roger and I were chatting a little bit and I wanted to add a few things that he saw that I think were really appropriate. Jesus commended them for their hupomone. It's a Greek word that means steadfast. It means constant. It means unwavering, unwavering, unshakable, immovable, preserving to the end. This Greek word, Means a kind of steadfast, a patient hope, even while being pressed and squeezed by persecution, suffering, and pain. Are you with me? Pastor Roger called it a hyperstay. This church had a hyper stay in its spirits. What makes a church strong? Is it, it's programs, it's lights, it's talented communicators, flashy singers, it's big crowds. Listen, if you ever leave Inspire Church, what qualifications should you look for in a church? You know, my job I see as a pastor is to shepherd the flock among us. We shepherd through accountability, gospel application, rhythms of life, preaching and teaching, biblical theology, beautiful community, global missions. But my secondary job as a pastor is that if you were to ever leave Inspire, that you would be able, mature enough to discern the qualities and characteristics of a true church. And that you wouldn't go to the lively church that is dead. Y'all don't hear me though. All right, we ain't ready for that. That you wouldn't choose the lively church. That Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Not all that glitters. So how do I know the characteristics or qualities of a true church? I got to go fast. Obedience to the word, loyalty to the exclusivity of Christ, and a patient endurance in the face of suffering. You know, it's amazing. Of all the churches that Jesus addresses, Philadelphia was one of only two to receive no criticism, no rebuke, no condemnation, no warning, no critique. The church of Philadelphia may have not have been a perfect church, but they were a true church in whom Christ was pleased. And it was to this church with minimal strength, little resources, to this tiny, puny, insignificant church that Christ revealed the bigness, the unlimitedlessness. I'm not sure if that's a word but it came out really good. Let's go back to verse seven. I want you to pay attention to how Jesus introduces himself to this church. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. To this little church, Jesus Reveals himself as the one. He says, I am the Holy One, separate, set apart, unique, and unlike anything or anyone. All of the incommunicable attributes of God that distinguish creator from creature, Jesus claims for himself. In other words, Jesus says, I am God. Then he says, I am not just the holy one, but I am the true one. Reliable, credible, faithful, genuine. You could translate this as Jesus saying, I am the real deal. And I just got to pause to point something out. As the holy one, Jesus cannot tolerate sin. And as the true one, Jesus cannot tolerate hypocrisy. If there was anyone capable of sniffing out the secret sin and hypocrisy of the church, it was the Lord of the church himself, Jesus Christ, who walks among the lampstands. So what an incredible honor it must have been for this little church to receive from the true and holy one nothing but commendation and praise. Jesus describes himself not just as the true one or the holy one, but he also says he is the one who possesses David's keys. What is that? He's referring back to one of Israel's greatest key, uh, kings in their history, King David. Jesus is recalling a story in Isaiah 22. Listen, in which God's faithful servant Eliakim was placed over the royal house of David. And on his shoulder was he was given a key to the house, and that key gave access to every room in the palace. You see, Eliakim was a faithful servant that was replacing a rebellious servant. And with those keys to David's royal house, Eliakim had had unlimited access to the king's treasury and the kingdom's resources. And he could administrate them as he saw fit. He could open any door and he could close any door. Are you with me? And so Jesus who's about to make two big promises to this little church. But before he does that, he reminds this little church, this church of little resources, little connections, little influence, little power, that he is the holy and true one who has unlimited access to the Father's house and to all the riches and resources of the kingdom of heaven. And if he doesn't make this clear, it's very possible this church would doubt the promises that he's about to make to them. Two promises. He promises open doors and temple pillars. Open doors and temple pillars. Let's talk about open doors briefly. Philadelphia in Asia Minor was known as a gateway city, Uh, kind of like St. Louis and the arches of St. Louis. You know, those arches were given to St. Louis during the Louisiana Purchase. There's some history for you. And it signified an expansion from east to west. Right, think of the Golden Gate Bridge. Like that corridor, that area is a connection, connecting harbors on the west coast to the east. And so from the east, ships can come in and from the west, they can go out. Philadelphia was known as a gateway city or a door to Asia and the west. Philadelphia was founded as a kind of Greek missionary city or a strategic outpost for the Hellenization of Asia. It would be through the doorway of Philadelphia that Greek language, Greek culture, Greek philosophy, Greek entertainment, Greek way of life would expand beyond its borders and Hellenize the world, make the world Greek. So when Jesus promises an open door, he's promising this church gospel opportunities. Are you with me? You see, in the scriptures, open doors are pathways the Lord opens for his redemptive purposes to be achieved. You'll hear the Apostle Paul mention open doors throughout his ministry, which are opportunities for him to take the gospel to places that the Lord Jesus wants him to go. Another note that I picked up when I was speaking with Pastor Roger. I thought it was brilliant. Notice an open door has nothing to do with your personal ambitions or achievements. Come on, church. Come on, y'all have been church long. Holy oh, Lord, open some doors for me. The look of these doors, and it's always, that's too generalization, okay? It's not always. Many times, it feels like you're praising the Lord because he's making a way for your selfish desires and ambitions to be fulfilled. As if open doors are for you. I'm going to mess some people up because somebody probably just yesterday's like, oh, girl, I got an open door. <laughs> I'm going to mess you up. People don't even want to say open doors anymore in this house. Uh, you can say it. It's okay. But I just need you to know that the way the scriptures Use the word open doors. It's not for you to satisfy your silly ambitions. Open doors are not for your gain, but for God's glory. Wait before you clap. Uh (laughs) That means that many times the job you were blessed with, the house in that neighborhood the Lord gave you, that raise, that promotion, that degree, that opportunity is not for you, but a doorway for gospel opportunities. No, you don't. We still drink milk at this church. Come on. We're not ready for that. You think you got that because you're really good, you're really skilled. You earned that promotion, didn't you? And thank God for opening that door because now I can do what I want, buy what I want, go where I want, vacation where I want. Nah. Nah, fam. it's <laughs> not it. It's not the one. I'm going to talk to somebody that door that's been opened. Has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And has everything to do with God strategic, strategically placing you in position to be a gospel light, a missionary. Wow. Sure, enjoy the race, enjoy it. I'm not saying, I'm, this is not a church, I'm gonna say don't take a vacation, enjoy that, enjoy it all. But just know, but just know. The primary purpose of an open door is to place you in a space, in a place where God can be glorified. Who who, who on that team needs to know that Jesus is real? Who in that company needs to hear the gospel? Who's hurting? Who in that neighborhood? Who in that apartment complex? I got two minutes, and it's still got an hour worth of sermon, so we're going to go quickly. Yeah, no, yeah, there's one guy. It was like, no, don't do that. Back in the day, where, you know, previous, you're like, it's okay, pastor. Like, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real. I knew you. You, Yeah, mama, I know you're, you mean that. She means that. If she says it, she means it. We eating right now. We have food that they don't know about. You know, the crazy thing about Open Doors is, you know, what's really amazing was, I'm going to boast a little bit, can I? In the pandemic, inspired Church brought in less money, but got more generous. That's, that's a badge of honor. We were weak, but strong. We got more generous in the pandemic. We... Um, we gave more money away than we've ever given wow. we got a not big amount but we gave more money away than we've ever given we've fed more people than we've ever fed wow. yeah. in, the pan, in this pandemic with the city teams and Catherine leading the helm we're not only to, we're, not, we're not able to we're not only able to feed one community of families in one school but now we're able to feed many we're multiplying more families, over 30 families in two schools. And, and what's really amazing about our city teams and just this idea is, you know, we do this to build gospel bridges. We don't just do this to do this. We don't do this just to get a good reputation because we know about churches that can have good reputations but be dead. We do this To build gospel bridges, I was talking with Nelson who oversees one of the city teams and he was just talking about how as they begin to continue to serve these families and these families have become more familiar with them, they're beginning to pray and share the love of Jesus Christ. Gospel bridges with the hope of saving some. Stories Catherine with administrators praying for them. Just little hope, little glimmers of hope seeds. Hope that they would not come to Inspire Church, but they would come to Christ. And hope that they would know that there's a a church in this city that loves them and loves Jesus. And what's really amazing is in the last two years, we've been awarded grants, open doors. If, if the pandemic is a, felt like a closed door, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, we closed these doors literally. I mean, for a mobile church, we didn't meet for 16 months. Wow. And it felt like a closed door, but yet other doors were opening. And I feel like God said, if you're gonna be faithful, like if the blessing is gonna flow through you and not just to you, like if my glory is attached to this, if gospel expansion is part of the strategy, then I'm gonna provide because I am the one who holds the keys. Wow. Yeah. And any door that I open, no man shuts. No. Wow. And every door that I close, no man can open. That's right. That's right. Thank you, like the city it was in, the church in that city had become a doorway. Unlike the city, the church would not expand Greek culture, but gospel seeds. Open doors were being opened to them because of their faithfulness. And they had all of heaven's resources at their disposal. And so, as insignificant and insecure as they were, Jesus says, I got you. Yes, yes. Not for your glory. You're weak, but for mine. Amen? He promised them open doors and finally temple pillars and we're going to land here. A few other things about Philadelphia that I think is important before we finish this off is Philadelphia um, was on a fault and had experience. Many catastrophes, natural disasters throughout its history. There was a volcano and there was an active fault. We know all about that, don't we? Um, In fact, more than once, the city had been leveled by earthquakes. And and many of its inhabitants uh, wound up dead due to uh, the buildings collapsing in on themselves. And so anyone living in Philadelphia would tell you that there was always a threat of, or the possibility of another big one destroying the city and forcing them to evacuate their homes and, 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 and having them to leave everything behind quickly. And here was another interesting fact. Philadelphia was renamed three times. And one of kind of the most famous times, most famous name changes was when they got rocked by an earthquake. And the city was reduced to rubble. And then Rome sent disaster relief to help rebuild it. And so to honor Caesar, Philadelphia was called at one time Neo Caesarea or New Caesar. So with that backdrop in mind, Jesus says, I'm going to make some promises to this church. He says, I will make you a pillar. To those who conquer, I will make you a pillar. Pillars are strong. Pillars are meant to fortify buildings. They are built to hold up the building and keep it from falling. Though earthquakes had regularly tested and destroyed the pillars of Philadelphia, no shaking and no testing would be able to destroy the pillars of the church in Philadelphia. Y'all hear me? Though earthquakes, testing and shaking, destroyed the pillars of the city. No testing, no tribulation, no persecution, no squeezing, no killing, no threat of harm could shake the pillars of the church of Philadelphia. They were weak, but they were strong. And God says, because you overcome, because you patiently endure, because you kept my word, because you have been exclusive to my name. Because you have not denied me, you're going to become a pillar in the temple of my God. Wow. He goes on to say, Not only are you going to be a, temple, to be a pillar in the temple of my God, he goes, but you'll never have to leave again. In other words, no more evacuations. The the trauma of having to leave it all behind and come back and realize that everything's gone. He says, not only will you become a permanent pillar in the house of God, but you'll never have to come out again. You are permanently placed. Finally, he says, I will write some names on you. Three names, actually. The name of my God the name of the city of my God and my new name. Jesus has a new name, y'all, that we don't even know about. We don't even know. Even when I was reading this, I tried to guess. What would it be? but we never know. Like we won't know until he'll reveal himself in a way that is him, but in a new way that we don't even know. He'll have this new name. And he says, I'm gonna put these names on my pillars. I remember when they were rebuilding uh, 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 Washington High School, and you could, or, or if you've ever maybe donated money, or, or, or if you've ever you know given uh, to a park, or they they put your name on the bench, or or when they were rebuilding Washington High School, my dad's one of the first high schools in Fremont. My dad graduated from there. You know, if you were able to purchase this brick, they'd put your name on it, and as they put the brick in, your name would be in the building. And Jesus is putting His name on His pillars. These unshakable pillars, these pillars that are built to last in the temple of God. And it's really fascinating because he mentions three names, and Philadelphia had several names. The only difference is, is that Philadelphia's names came and went, but these names are permanently placed. And so, to the little church with little strength, the one with unlimited resources and unlimited power promises them that they will become pillars. Pillars. And that through them, open doors for the gospel to be proclaimed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We just thank you for all that you're doing in this church. And as we learn from the church of Philadelphia, may we learn how their weakness was a strength. And I pray for anyone in this room who feels like they've been shaken. I pray for anyone in this room that feels like they've been tested. You know, while I'm praying that, and you guys can open your eyes, while I'm praying that, I, I, I actually, I wanna share something really quickly. that just came to me right now. And kind of weird, mid-prayer, right? But I just want to say this. The pandemic shook you yeah, yeah. and revealed you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Weren't things revealed? Yes. Yeah. Weren't some things exposed? Yeah. It didn't just reveal mental health, but spiritual health. See how easily you got angry? See how frustrated you got? See how far you walked away? It's interesting, you take the Sunday away. Some of you found out that that was the extent of your Christianity. Commitments are gone. Sanctification there, rhythms messed up. You're shaking, you're shaking. And God began to reveal, expose. Maybe I'm the only one. And you can do one of two things. You can take that revelation and you could submit it before Christ. And you can allow him to rebuild into something more permanent. Or you could just continue to walk in the rubble. Or maybe you can rebuild yourself. But the next time the winds and the storms come, it'll just come crumbling down. And so as Jesus has shook everything that could be shaken. And as things begin to collapse, the, the question is, is will God rebuild something permanent? Will you be obedient to his word? Will you be faithfully enduring in hope? Will you not deny his name? Will you allow him to rebuild it? Or will you build it up again on sand? So let it all just come tumbling down again. And so we're gonna dismiss. I'm gonna pray momentarily. We're just gonna respond in this song. And I just want you, if you wanna stand or sit wet, I just want you to just to process between you and the Holy Spirit. I've done enough talking. However, the Spirit leads and is speaking to you, will you just take this moment right now to respond to Him? And then we'll pray and dismiss. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to sing this song together. A little bit of technical difficulties with the mic. Noelle, you mind leading us. And so again, just continue the process as we sing to the Lord. God, to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Like it do, God, I look to you. you know where my help comes from. Thank you, Jesus, give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I. And I will love you, Lord, in my strength. And I will love prayer Lord I pray that your word wouldn't come back void Lord that it would do everything that it's been sent out to do and every heart and every mind in this room may each and every one of us walk out of here with a word from you Lord, I pray as we look at the church of Philadelphia who you've made pillars in the temple of your God, I, I, I only pray that we too would be a church of pillars. That each individual here would be a pillar with your name on it. And God, that we would rebuild things that have been tested and burned and shaken and that your name would be built on it. And that we would have a place of unwavering, unshakable, unmovable permanence. And God, that you would open doors And those doors, Lord, would be doors for gospel expansion, gospel opportunities. Lord, we are so grateful for your word and these letters to your churches. I pray that we would be faithful and obedient to what the Spirit is saying to inspire. And so, Lord, I pray you'd be with us as we leave this place. Let us not leave your presence, but take you with us everywhere we go. We honor you and we praise you. Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Inspired Church. Go with the Lord, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful week. God bless.